All right, welcome everyone. Uh, for those who are brand new with us today, we're in the middle of a, this is the second message or talk in a series we're calling Paradigm Shift. We're looking to shift some of the ways that we uh, structure church life in the coming days. Really excited about it. Uh, if you didn't listen to last week's very, very lengthy message, you might want to catch that online. You know, when you go for a road trip or something this week, I think it was an hour and something, 15 minutes. Um, today I'm going to talk about reimagining church, and it'll be kind of the, the vision for this uh, newer model that we're looking at. And to, because I'm merciful, uh, we're going to have an intermission. And I won't be offended if you want to slip out during the inter intermission. It's fine. But we're going to actually do it that way because it's a lot of content. And I really want to, you know, we're, we're talking about just years of thought and prayer, just, you know, being packed into uh, just one talk. So it's, it's a lot to cover, and I really want to do it do it justice. So I'll give you a little break. Um, as I encouraged you last week, hope, hopefully you brought your snacks. See, we should have had snacks. Catherine, come on. You need to come up with these ideas. We should have passed out granola bars during the intermission. Do we have any around? We do? Okay. All right. Good. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do that. We might not have, might have to share. It's a very church concept. Uh, so anyways, but if you're brand new with us, it'll be a little weird. You know, we usually don't uh, talk about vision, and, you know, it's, this is more of a workshop. One of my close uh, minister friends said to me this week, hey, uh, I'd love to come and do a three-hour workshop with your church on this particular topic. And it didn't even throw me off. That's the key. You got to call it a workshop. Because <laughs> if he said, hey, I want to come and do a three-hour sermon, I'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? So this is a workshop this morning. All right? Anyways, well, let's dive in. I'll probably talk a little fast at times. Uh, don't expect to get everything, but just hopefully this will jumpstart your thinking. And uh, yeah. So this... Fresh model that we're looking at today is really the result. I just want to kind of tell you where it comes from. It's a result of observations that I've had over the last 20 years since I started the church in, in 2002 or 2003. Um, kind of looking at things that have worked, thinking about times where mission and community uh, really flourished uh, during the life of the community, and then why at other times it seemed to wane and and be stifled. Uh, there's a lot of factors, of course, you know, that go into that. But I've gotten some clarity just looking back and observing over the years. The pandemic, as I shared a little last week, really brought things to the surface. Really revealed the deficiencies of 
kind of the traditional church model that we're accustomed to in America. Um, of course, you know, just the big Sunday show was kind of shut down, had to be shut down. And so we were kind of forced into, you know, isolation. And it just, you know, really caused a lot of churches. And I think it did some damage to our church, too, you know, just to, to kind of fall apart. You know, like if we can't have the, the big Sunday show with the preacher and the, you know, the song, like what, then what do we have? Uh, but that revealed that what we have is not really according to God's design. I've also been plowing through a number of podcasts and, and books that are really provoking me deeply, um, but I'm, I'm eating them up. I mean, I think during the pandemic, I listened to the whole rise and fall of Mars Hill, that story. It's kind of a tragic story, but it's, a, it's really a story about, it's a podcast, it's a story about the American church model and why we love our celebrity preachers and why we kind of do things the way we do things. Um, it's, it's, I recommend it. Another one, there's a movement down in Florida called um, The Underground. And so there's a podcast called Micro Churches that just a lot of different people talking and interviews and different things like that, really talking about kind of new ways, innovative ways of doing church, kind of what's working around the world. Uh, so that's been really stirring to me. Somebody gave me a book called Mega Church to Multiplication. It's about a big church in Texas that just went from mega church uh, model to um, kind of smaller church model and just their story that moved me deeply. Uh, a lot of book recommendations within that book that led me down other rabbit holes. Uh, the most recent book that I read was is called uh, Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola and George Barna. You might have uh, heard of the name Barna because he, you know, he's kind of the one that we get all these statistics and all these things from, but powerful book, uh, kind of deconstructing the present church model and showing where its roots really come from. Shocking that so much that we do as churches in you know in this modern age uh, is not even rooted in in scripture um, it's not rooted in the new testament at all there's pagan roots to so much of it so i'd highly recommend that book get ready for it though i mean if i mean it will rock you on so many different levels trust me i've given my life to you know pastoring the church. And so, you know, it's, if it's hard for you to read, it's a lot harder for me to read because this smacks right into my very identity, my vocation, my calling, everything I've poured my time and energy and life into for decades. Um, so it's, it's touching every nerve inside of me. But I'm at a point in my life where I just want truth, you know, I want God's design. I want to honor God's design. So this fresh model that I'm going to share with you today also comes from lots of conversations with many of you. Uh, we've had incredible conversations, vibrant discussions at our council gatherings and our core membership gatherings and staff, uh, you know, staff interactions 
And I've just been listening. I've been listening, especially to younger, the younger generation coming up. Uh, my kids actually, you know, talking with them, lengthy conversations, you know, what's working, what's not working. Why is it hard for young adults to kind of fit into uh, the American church model? Why are they dropping out like, you know, like crazy? Um, again, there's a lot of reasons for these things, but really looking at structures and models, kind of how we do things. But also talking with, you know, newer people in, in church in the church community, whether new Christians or just kind of new, new people in the community. Why is it hard for new people to integrate and be a part of the life of a church? Um, I've heard that struggle so much. I think the people who have been around for a long time uh, don't feel the deficiencies of the American church model as much because they're kind of like a church within a church. You know, they, they know everybody. They're part of everything. They're, you know, they're part of the production team and part of the, maybe they're on staff or they're, you know, really involved volunteers. So you kind of have, you know, in a church our size, a couple hundred, uh, you know, you have like 30 or 40 people who are just, they're in each other's lives all the time. And so they don't really feel the, dif- they're like, what's, I don't see any problem with, with the model. <laughs> but I'm looking at the big picture. I'm looking at the new people. I'm looking at especially the younger generations coming up. And I'm also looking at scripture and saying, you know, how did God design his church to be structured? I've also uh, prayed a lot and thought a lot about, about this, um, like incessantly uh, for, for years, especially during the pandemic, as I've had kind of extra time to think. I've gone to my mentors uh, and just pitched a lot of these ideas to them and just got, you know, wisdom from them and uh, just insights. And I've also, you know, attempted several, if you want to call them rough drafts. I think I gave uh, at least three different written rough drafts to the uh, council and I don't think, I can't remember if I shared it with the core or not. I think it was just the council. Maybe it was, the, I can't remember. But anyway, it's just different attempts at trying to shape it and, and make it in a way that, that works. Uh, my analogy is sort of like uh, packing the trunk for uh, vacation. You know, when you have kids, it's like, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. You know, because you got to move things, you shift things around. You're like, yeah, this isn't going to fit. You know, we just can't include. We're, getting, we're not bringing this, all right? We're not bringing the scooter. The scooters are staying home. You know, it's just there's certain things that you know. But if you kind of move it around a certain way, you can kind of pack it all in and fit it. So that's what it's kind of been like uh, as I've created these different blueprint drafts. So, you know, what I'm going to share today is not perfect, but I, I feel really good about it, and I hope you do too. That's my, that's my prayer, that this will resonate with you deeply. Even as I read uh, Pagan Christianity by uh, Viola and, and Barna, I realized that they were articulating things that I already felt so deeply in my heart. So it was, I actually wasn't really defensive about it. I guess a lot of people reacted to that book when it was written and there was some, you know, really strong feelings cuz tradition, we hold tradition deep, but I felt like every chapter I was like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, right, just it was resonating so deeply with me. I hope that 
what I'm presenting today will resonate in that way. If it doesn't, it's okay. You know, there's time to think about it. You might need to go through that process of deconstructing things, and and that's okay. It, it takes a lot to dismantle tradition. Even when we started the church, you know, one of our looking back, I remember the one of our goals from the outset was to separate um, what is biblical and what is God's purpose and design, separate that, distinguish that from church culture. And boy, it's a challenge. Here we are 20 years later, and we're like, we're still working on that. I'm still getting my eyes open, like, oh, okay, that's actually just tradition and not the design of the Lord. So we're still working on this. I've been working on it for, for 20 years. Well, the aim of this uh, paradigm shift is to create a model that here's three things, and there's a lot to it, but three main things that fosters relationships and participation. In other words, not what we're doing right this moment of you being a small ear uh, and me being a big mouth and just you spectating and me doing all of the ministry. Now, we're going to do this for a little bit, you know, this month at least, but we really want to work toward shifting this all together and create a model that, that facilitates, kind of fosters uh, participation, body ministry, as we like to call it. If you want to use the analogy of a potluck, um, have you ever hosted like 20 or 30 or 50 people or, you know, 100 people or whatever? <laughs> it's a lot. You know, you got to cook all the food. You got you to do everything. Buy the drinks, napkins, play. Like it's the whole thing. It's, just, it's a lot, right, on one person. But how many know when you do a potluck, it's kind of easy. You know, usually the host is like, yeah, I'll provide the drinks and the, the plates and the cups or something like that. You know, they just kind of handle that part of it and, uh, and then, you know, one brings a side dish, one brings a nice dessert, another one brings a thing that they love to cook, their favorite meal. You know, they bring that. And it's like a joy. It's easy. That's how church should be. Kind of like a spiritual potluck where we're, you're coming, everybody's coming with something. And of course, of course that's deeply biblical. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, it, it, it gives that, that picture of the design of the Lord, the, the picture of God's church. is You know, when you come together, when you assemble together, uh, one you know brings a, a word, one brings a hymn, a song. You know, maybe one brings a, a testimony. One brings just a prayer that's been on their heart all week long, and and you, you kind of together you begin to you know the limitation of just listening to one person. And I feel like I have a lot to say. You know, I have good things to say, but I'm one perspective. I'm one. I have one portrait of Jesus. You know, I have one perspective on the kingdom of God, and what we want is a model that fosters um, many perspectives in bringing, you know, all the different portraits of Jesus together to get a much more dynamic and colorful uh, view of God's kingdom and who God is. Um, secondly, we're 
aiming to create a model that activates every single person in mission. You know, I've kind of whined that, and it's my fault really, but almost all of the outreach ideas have come from me since the church started, and that's not healthy. You know, usually it's like I come up with some idea, we're going to do this thing, we're going to, you know, whatever. House of Bread, you know, we did that. I mean, just so many ideas through the years. And then basically I go into the mode of then rallying everybody to basically make it happen. And so, you know, everyone else is like the, and not that, you know, there aren't significant roles that are played by you guys, but we need to shift that and let you, let each member in the church uh, do the thing that they're really called to do. And the, the, the people who are outside the walls of the church, you have, you have a heart for. Um, we, we, we just want to put the, you know, put the freedom on you to just go for that. You know, so instead of having like one outreach director, one or two or three, and you know, I know Catherine does a lot of that, of course, with City Love. You know, so okay, we, you know, instead of like one or two or three, you know, people that are kind of coming up with all the outreach stuff, and everybody else just kind of plugs into that, um, wouldn't it be better? A community of a hundred, two hundred missionaries. So we need to think like that. That's part of the shift. And then thirdly. We want to create a model that, that grows naturally, uh, organically, and multiplies, and just kind of reproduces itself. Uh, often the, the, the traditional church model, it, it, really, it really makes it hard to grow. Like they say, actually, that there's a plateau that happens at 30. I don't know, there's a science to this. Another plateau, I think, is 90 or 100. Um, and then another plateau is like the, the 300 plateau because things need to radically change within an organization for it to grow from 100 to 300 or 300 to 1,000 um, or even 30 to 100. Just there's so much change and sometimes it's just hard to make those changes. Often the lead pastor doesn't have the skill set um, to, I mean, I feel like that's been my story. We're smaller now, but... Uh, for years, we were hitting about 300. Um, and I just, I don't have the skill set to take the church from, I'm not really an organizational manager and mega church guy, you know, you know, to take the church from 300 to 1,000. So there's reasons for these little plateaus. But the model, the present church model, um, really isn't working. With exceptions, you have these very highly charismatic, very gifted, have the skill set, CEO type uh, pastors who can, they can just do it. They can kill it. You know, they, that's, they have churches of 2,000 and 5,000, 10,000, um, you know, multiple locations and doing all that. It's like crazy. But for the rest of us, like ordinary pastors who just like people um, and just, you know, we're, we're not like, that's, we don't think like that. We don't have that kind of gifting. Um, you know, our churches, the model kind of tends to plateau. Most churches hit about 80 or 100 and just they stop growing. 
um, and they even decline. So how do we create a model that can, because we don't want to just be a church of 80 or 100 and then stop. Like, that's not good either, right? That's not New Testament at all, because the movement spread like wildfire. Um, And it wasn't because they had a whole bunch of CEO-type powerful uh, leaders. No, it wasn't like that at all. Um, So how do we create a model that can rapidly multiply? Because we want to reach people. Of course we want to. I mean, we're only, you know, a couple hundred people maybe. And most I know people are listening online as well. But we're, I mean, this is, uh, what are there's over a million people in Rhode Island. Uh, we're close to Massachusetts, even Connecticut. I mean, what, what about, I mean, there's, come on. Like, we are in one of the most unreached parts of the United States. Uh, Providence, as you know, was, um, I think it was the Barna report, actually, said Providence was the least Bible-minded city in America. And now I think it's like still in the top five. But this is an unreached place. So we want to spread the gospel like crazy. So how do we create a model that multiplies? Um, That's another aim that we're going for. All right, moving on. Think about the design and the ethos of the early church. And this could be a whole sermon in itself. But just, you know, take a walk through the book of Acts and just take a look at the just how they, how they function, even some of the epistles that give really clear instructions for church life and how church should uh, kind of function. Um, you see an incredible emphasis on prayer. I mean, they were constantly praying, seeking God together. There was this really deep community that happened where they were, not, not just that they were like hanging out together all the time and, you know, whatever, you know, just doing fun things. It wasn't, but they were, it was like a deep family. Like they knew each other. They shared uh, their wealth with each other. Uh, nobody, you know, kind of hoarded things. They, they really recognized each other's needs and, and supported each other. Uh, it was a deep community, very different than what we see today of just, you know, attending church a couple times a month, you know, come late, leave early, uh, just, you know, attend, sit in the pew and just listen to uh, talk and uh, some songs. Again, that's not, those aren't bad things, but very different than what they were in the early first century church. Much more body ministry, um, as I said before, 1 Corinthians 14, you know, every, every member of the church kind of bringing something to the table when they assembled, when they gathered. Uh, they had meals. I mean, they shared meals. Communion was not what we, how we do it or how most churches do it, all somber and, you know, the little wafer and the little tiny cup. Now we have it. It's like ridiculous, like the little thingy, the wafer and the cups all together. It's like, how much worse can we make it? You know, it was a meal. They spent time together. They were laughing. They were breaking real bread together, like a loaf of bread, you know? Um, And they were just, you know, there was celebration together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. We need to bring food back in the church. I shouldn't even say that. (laughs) Stick to the notes. 
This is a long message. You're already getting hungry. All right. But, yeah, just consider the, you know, the early church. And they, like I said, they multiplied like crazy. Um, for the first 300 years, they didn't meet in big buildings like this. They met anywhere they could find a little space. As they scattered over the known world, I mean, they met in fields, they met under trees, they met in houses, they met in barns, they met in probably people's blacksmith shops and just different, wherever, all over the place. But this idea of giant building, gather all the people, you know, put a steeple on it, that's a new concept. That's a concept that was completely foreign to the early Christians. It's just not how they rolled. Well, I dealt with this extensively last week in my message, but I'll give you a tiny refresher. You know, is this shift really necessary? Maybe that's a question you're thinking. I would say absolutely it is. Because the American church model is not working. Like I said before, if you remember my Walmart illustration, even the mega churches, right, the, the ones that are really doing it well because they have that CEO type you know, leadership or maybe they just have a lot of money and resources. They can create the big building with the state-of-the-art sound system and hire you know, the best musicians in the country to come and be part of their... Like, I get it. Like, there's a way to do it that can like, cause it to grow. But where are they getting all their people? From other churches, right? It's mostly transfer growth. So it may look really successful on the outside, but I think actually that model ends up hurting the family of God in a region because it just sucks the life out of all of these smaller churches or newer churches that just can't quite do it as shiny and as fancy and as, you know, well-oiled as the bigger churches. I don't want to do that. And we've kind of kind of done that, I think. You know, we've been pretty slick and pretty hip and pretty, you know, we've we put on a good show. We have great musicians. I work really hard to preach good messages. You know, so like we've kind of done that. And I'm not saying that everyone who comes to Wren is transfer, transferring from a church that isn't as great. You know, we're going to get some of that. that. Some of that happens. It's natural. But that is not what we're going for. That's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to, you know, go out and make disciples, bring people in, go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, right? Or like the proverb, rescue the perishing, save those who are staggering toward death. This is the mission of the church that flows out of our depth with God and our depth with one another. So it definitely is needed that we would shift. Again, you know, you can look at, listen to last week's message, but the American church model, I think, hinders community, uh, creates a huge gulf, as is we're demonstrating right now, between the professional minister um, and the handful of people who are, I suppose are like paid or qualified to minister on the stage and then 
everyone else who sits usually in pews, you know, or chairs. We're not like traditional. We're cool. You know, we have chairs, you know, so we have chairs, but they're like basically like pews. They're just a little softer, I guess. So, yeah, we're like, whatever. (laughs) But you get the point. Um, It just creates this unhealthy um, gulf between clergy and people. It encourages passivity, stifles multiplication. I could keep going. Again, last week's message. Take a listen. So I guess the big question, you know, everyone has is, yeah, but, all right, it's fine, but, you know, is the Sunday morning service going to change? You know, it's like that's the, always the concern because don't touch that. That's, you know, I want that. Well, calm down. It'll just change slightly at first, and we will have a very long-term, gradual uh, dismantling of things. We will continue to have worship with music. We will continue to have preaching, as we have done for 20 years. Um, The kind of newer element to Sundays, which we've already kind of played with, and I think everybody's had fun with, is creating an interactive element during the service. You know, maybe about a third of the service, the last third will be uh, just, you know, we'll disconnect the chairs and we'll, we'll break up into small groups of maybe four or five or six or whatever and just, you know, have conversation. Because I, we want to even create some, you know, some body ministry uh, even on Sundays. And I think, I think we can do that. by Because of this space, we can, we can make that happen. Um, and I like that because we get to know different people each week. Um, new people kind of make a, an immediate connection. Um, we're able to kind of c- contribute something. A lot of times we come to a church gathering and we just receive. It's like 100% receive. It shouldn't be all receive. It should be give. Even if it's like, well, I don't know. I'm not a, you know, you might think I'm not a, I'm not a teacher. I don't have any, I don't have a revelation from God to bring to the community. No, it, even just listening, even just like being a good listener um, and, and just taking in or, or maybe offering a prayer for somebody or just even a, just a little word of encouragement. It could be about a practical thing, not like a deeply spiritual thing, but you know, you want to come to a church gathering and have opportunity to give. And some of you are just chomping at the bit to give. You have so much to give. But the way we've structured things, like this morning, there is just no opportunity for that. Unless you just really linger after service, which some people do, but most people don't. So, yeah, we will keep Sundays pretty much as is. It's not the full expression. It's not God's design. It's not what the early Christians did. But because it's what we're accustomed to in its tradition, we, we, I think it's wisdom to kind of you know, just keep it, keep it as is. And we'll also you know, keep our midweek service uh, that we call Refresh. We're also going to have um, an elements class, which will be for newer Christians or people who really just want to go deep with the, um, the foundations of the Christian faith. And we'll start that in March. 
And that'll be fun. You know, we'll have a little food on Wednesday. Again, we're going to try to make that as interactive as possible. Even the elements class will be more of a class, but, you know, obviously uh, room to ask questions. And we'll have some teaching, have some worship uh, in the sanctuary for the refresh gathering, and then break into small groups again and uh, pray for each other. So, yeah. We'll have some child care, by the way, for that. And the older kids are welcome to, I mean, older meaning seven, <laughs> eight, whatever parents and different kids are different, but I'm fine with like, let them be in the sanctuary during the worship and during the teaching. And I don't care if they make noise. I really, I'm done with, I just don't care anymore. Like, I just want us to be a family. I just could care less about distractions you know, kids, you know, obviously, you know, parents don't want their kids to be, you know, distracting or something like that. But it's just like, we need to be a family. We need to figure out ways to really make the kids feel included. That's a whole nother sermon that I would love to get into another time. But anyways, so yeah, we're keeping Sunday morning. We're keeping the midweek service. That's about as traditional as you can get, right? Uh, we'll try to do, do them in a way that's interactive. Um, you know, so we'll shift the way we do them a little bit. But we, we won't touch those things, so you know, don't worry. Don't worry yet. <laughs> so what exactly is the big shift? Um, well, it's going to be kind of a hybrid model. Like I said, we'll keep the Sunday morning and the midweek thing. That's kind of more the traditional, uh, older model of doing things. And I'm part of that. I'm not, we're not just like, eh, we're not going to care about that anymore. No, we're going we're gonna to do the midweek service well, and we're going to do Sundays as good as we can possibly do it. Um, but we're also going to add this innovative uh, model kind of alongside the older model. Uh, so it kind of gives, everybody can, you know, kind of go at their own pace. Some can just like full in jump into the new model. Some will be like, I'm going to stick with the old model for a little while. And then some might be like a little bit of, you know, one foot in, one foot out, and maybe gradually, you know, slide into the newer model. It kind of gives room for everybody to, to grow into it. All right. So the 2022 core, core membership will be formed uh, by March first. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take that core, let's say it's 150 people, and we're going to um, create from that 150 uh, small churches of 15 people each. And these small churches will be formed based on your particular mission interest. You know, you want to be with other people, right, who are kind of have a similar heart that you maybe you want to reach refugees or homeless women or whatever. So you want to be with those people in your small church. And uh, probably, you know, geographic location, maybe where you live. Maybe you don't care about that, but, you know, maybe you do. And also existing relationships. We want to put you in a small church with people you like. Uh, so that's important too. And just maybe your schedule. Uh, different things like that. So that'll, that'll take some time <laughs> to do that, probably a good month or so to really shape those, um, you know, little rosters of, of 15. And so hopefully we'd have maybe about 10 different small churches. Well, Pastor Scott, what do you mean by a small church? 
good question. It's almost intermission. Um, hmm. Maybe I'll do this one, one point, and then we'll take an intermission. All right, so what do you mean by a small church? You know, because that could bring up different images for different people. Uh, certainly it would be a gathering weekly, um, some kind of discussion maybe about the sermon. I think that could work, you know, whatever I preach on the Sunday before. It could be, you know, you guys could talk about it in your small church. Um, but as I shared before, really all participating, kind of a body ministry. And it's a new concept for many of us, so we really need to learn that. Because I think we're taught that, oh, I don't have anything to share. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a called teacher. I'm not a, Like, we really need to get away from that. I am going to hammer that out of every single one of you. Because if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And God has uniquely gifted every single one of you. He's given, he's distributed gifts to every single person in the body of Christ. And those gifts are meant to be used. Ah, I could go there, you know? So we really need to get to that. And that's what small churches will be about. But, you know, there'll be prayer, obviously sharing meals together, doing communion together. But each one will look different. Uh, Worship, for example, maybe. And we're really going to, I'm not going to tell the small churches what to do. They're going to figure it out on their own. So maybe they want, you know, maybe there's like three or four musicians in the group. Man, they want to rock out and do like full-blown, you know, instruments and just make stuff up and create. So I don't, they, great. Others, like, there's nobody that plays anything. Well, maybe they do acapella hymns. Maybe they don't want instruments. Maybe they, they'll figure it out. Maybe, you know, some groups will do, uh, I kind of like this, you know, the DJ style, you know, just kind of playlist uh, way of doing it. It's kind of cool because you have access to all of the music in the whole world. You know, even people who are dead, you know, you can, you can pull them into your uh, worship gathering. Or you could just use the book of Psalms. I, my point is like, we'll just let the churches create their worship experience how they feel is best for them. Um, so don't think of the small church as just a service, okay? Like a little tiny version of like what happens on Sunday here. That's not what we're trying to do at all. Okay, it's really more community, it's family, it's sharing life, a place of belonging, a place of affirmation, a place where the older are teaching the younger, a place where you're really known. Like if you're not there, you're kind of missed. You know, you feel, oh, where's, you know, where's Bill? Where's, you know, whatever, where's Susie? You know, you just kind of, you, f- you feel, you know, if you're not there, people notice and, and are concerned about that. Um, caring in practical ways, you know, doing life together, doing mission together, all the one another's. Each church will be different, as I said. You know, some might have, for example, with kids, some might have uh, three or four uh, small children or babies that are running all around. Um, so they might need to create just a side room and, you know, a little space for the kids to do. Other groups, uh, may be have smaller uh, or smaller amount of kids, or just have you know maybe infants that are just sitting in a one of the car seats, or uh, older kids that are seven or eight or nine or whatever who can be fine. Again, we're not creating a church service, so it's not like a lengthy sermon will be preached for forty five minutes, and you know the kids are required to be like sit there straight during this whole thing. 
um, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be food and um, discussion together and different sharing of gifts. Listen, kids need to be a part of this. They need to understand what it means to be a church. And I, as much as I love uh, you know, the special kids programs that can be created, I think there's a place for that. There needs to be an inclusion, like a profound inclusion of children in the life of the church. Wouldn't it be incredible when we're talking about 1 Corinthians 14 and you know coming together and everybody brings a piece? Imagine, I don't see why this couldn't happen. Imagine an eight-year-old coming and saying, you know, hey, uh, I feel like you know God is showing me something this week. Or I would like to share a story about how I um, tried to share about Jesus with one of my classmates in third grade, in my third grade classroom. Are you kidding me? You think that wouldn't bring energy and life into the community? Like, I think we need that. By separating that out, I think we're missing something. Jesus said the kingdom of God is for them. Kids can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know, I've witnessed that through the years. I've seen kids at Wren be lit by the fire of God. I remember, I will never forget this kid that was, gosh, he must have been, how old was the Izzo kid? Maybe seven or eight. And there was an outreach coming up. It was going to be the unveiling of his mom's painting. And I will never forget this kid. There was going to be a lot of non-Christians at this gathering. He was just crying out in intercession. He must have been like seven or eight, maybe. Please, Jesus, please, oh God, help them. Show them who you are. I mean, this kid's like seven or eight. That, that prayer is still having an effect on me. And that was probably 25 years ago. How much more do you think it affected the people in that room at the time? Kids have something to share. So it's not like, oh, how do we keep the kids quiet in the small church? No, no, no. We need to shift our way of thinking and let the kids be a part of this thing. Not like, oh, Johnny, you know, you did a good job keeping quiet during small church. No. No. You know? Let them, let them, let them feel free. Let them feel like it's God's living room. Let them feel like it's where they belong. I'm telling you, 18 years of that, they're not going to move from it when they head out to secular college or you know, out into the work world in the Northeast where almost nobody is Christian. No, it's going to stick. All right, I'm preaching on that now. All right, let's, uh, let's pause there. Um, we'll come back in five minutes. Keep the, just keep the mic on, maybe, uh, just so I don't have to, you know, and we can just get right back into it. But get up, stretch, granola bars. Catherine will pass out to, okay, yeah. Yeah, go to the welcome table. Oh, they'll be at the welcome table? Yeah, go to the welcome table, grab a granola bar, do a couple laps around, do whatever you want, all right? Five minutes. All right, pull back in. Can't have too much fellowship. I don't mind if you eat your granola bar. 
while I'm talking. That's totally fine. Drink your coffee. And we need to get coffee back into yeah. Come on. We're getting there. The numbers are dropping like crazy. Hallelujah. Really excited about that. All right, let's plow through the rest of this. By the way, I will, God helping me land tightly at 11.30, which is 20 minutes. So let me just kind of get through this. I'm going to talk fast, but I want to, I know you probably have a lot of different questions and need to be filled in. So I'll try not to go down little side tracks. Uh, When would these small churches meet? Well, we'd keep them ideally all on Sunday. We're looking at uh, 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 7 o'clock p.m. on Sundays. Um, So that means, the next question for some of you, so do I, does that mean I have two church gatherings to go to on Sunday? Yes, yes. Big church, as I've been calling it, 10 a.m., and small church, which would be 1 o'clock or 4 or 7. So the next question would be, what if I can't do two? Um, I would encourage you to prioritize the small church. You don't have to, but I would encourage that. Um, You can maybe prioritize small church and maybe do big church once a month or twice a month, if that's really what, what you can handle. Or you can do small church and then watch the live, live stream so you still feel like you get the content from the 10 o'clock service. Uh, you can also listen to the sermon online during the week or watch, actually you can watch it during the week. Um, so there are options that, and each of you kind of has to work that out on your own. Now what if I can't do one o'clock or four o'clock or seven o'clock? <laughs> Um, because of you know your work schedule or just different things, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, we're gonna figure it out, okay? So if there's a number of you that are like, yeah, I work at one o'clock on Sundays till nine, and it, there's like a handful of you, I don't, we'll figure that out. We'll create a Saturday night thing or some other alternative time. We'll make it work, all right? But we're gonna start with the one, four, and seven blocks. Um, and if you really just don't want to, because of the place you're in, want to be a part of a small church, I, it's okay. You know, it's not required to be part of the core membership. Uh, sometimes we just, you know, we're in a place where we just kind of need to sit for a bit, you know, sit for a few months and just kind of listen and, and kind of spectate and just take it in and kind of rest maybe. And you're not ready to dive into like a small community with 15 people. Um, it's okay. You know, I'm an introvert. I get it. You know, I understand that. You know, you might just need to just think, think through things a little bit first or, you know, gear up for that. So anyways, uh, you know, there won't, there'll be strong encouragement, but not pressure. And so I don't want you to feel that pressure. I don't want anybody to do anything they don't want to do. You know, I hopefully it'll just be in your heart. Like, oh yeah, I'm excited about about this. I, I don't want people drag, all right, we got to do this small, got to go to church twice on Sundays, you know, and you're just doing it just to be obedient or, I don't want that. I'm not, God doesn't want that. Like, I want you to be excited about it. I want this to be something that's in your heart. So that could take a little while for it to sit. 
Well, where will the small churches meet? Um, well, at first, they will meet right here, 184 Broad. In fact, we'll uh, just have, like, let's say there's uh, three small churches that are going to meet at 1 o'clock on Sundays. I will meet with all three of those uh, church, small churches together just for some training for about, maybe for about a month. And then, you know, the, the churches that are going to be meeting at 4 o'clock, I'll just meet all together and I'll just kind of go through some training because there will be some training necessary for this. Uh, but just a month, I think, should get us going. Uh, then to start with, we will just utilize different rooms in the building. Uh, so if we have, let's say, four small churches who are meeting at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, one can meet in the sanctuary, one can meet in the lounge, one can meet in the, I mean, I guess one can meet in the cafe. Uh, maybe not the cafe, maybe we'll keep that free, but one in the forest, one even in the lower level valley, which is a big, pretty big size room down there. And we'll figure out which group meets where, or whatever. But um, so we'll just to, but think of it more as an incubator. Like we don't want to stay in the building, okay? You know, eventually we want to scatter. We want to go out a little bit like when persecution hit the early church, right? They were all like, you know, in Jerusalem and then persecution came and they went out, you know, some of them over here, some of them here, one person out here. They just scattered all over the known world and the gospel, that's when the gospel really began to spread. Uh, so we want to scatter all over, you know, maybe Trinity Square or Fox Point or Smith Hill or uh, Riverside or uh, Warren, Bristol, Westside, College Hill, Johnson and Wales, Silver Lake, Res Triangle, I could keep going, downtown Rumford, uh, Wickford, Fall River, Connecticut, could, w- could we go that far? I don't know, Massachusetts, you know, well, Fall, Fall River is in Mass. We do have people who live there. But really anywhere, uh, each church will discern kind of where they feel they want to be. And it doesn't have to be like in your town. It could just be a particular area. I live in Warwick, but my heart has been for years for these neighborhoods, you know, West Side, South Side, you know, the college students on the hill. You know, this has really been where my heart is. Uh, I just go back home to Warwick. I mean, I love my neighbors and everything, but I I don't really think of Warwick so much as my mission field. But you might think of your town as your mission field, and that's fine. That's cool. That's awesome. So each, you know, each person in each church will uh, think a little different. So that's why it'll, it'll take time to uh, figure these things out. What kind of spaces will the small churches meet in? Free spaces, <laughs> preferably. Um, we, we can get creative. I mean, we can spend a little money if we, if we need to, if the space you know, if you know, for a little bit of money, we can get this particular little storefront, or maybe it could be useful for some of the missions that we're doing, or whatever. Or we can rent this space for not too much. Uh, but we really don't need big spaces. Uh, we don't need permanent spaces. We don't need a big parking lot. We don't need uh, it to be in a highly visible place with signage, and it just—it doesn't need all of it, any of that. It doesn't even need to be like fancy space at all. It just kind of needs to be, you know, functional. I know that we there are a lot of artists in this community, and we care about space design. So I'm sure that even if it's the most drab free space you can find, you will figure out a way to make it beautiful. Um, I, I can picture that. 
but it could be uh, in houses, uh, could be in schools, uh, cafes or restaurants, kind of after hours, a library space. A lot of library spaces just sit empty. They have these community rooms. There's one in Edgewood. It's beautiful. You know, it's just this little theater space. Just sits there dark and empty, I think, all week long. Community centers are usually really open to letting uh, different groups use their spaces, especially if you're kind of giving something in return. We can barter for spaces. You know, hey, we'll do this. You know, we'll serve three days in, you know, in exchange for whatever. Uh, creativity. We can be creative. Bowling alleys. Other churches. Um, we have a lot of church friends in other churches who'd probably be like, yeah, well, that's fine. Barns, party rooms, uh, nonprofit spaces, the YMCA, in the nice weather outside. Even some small churches can be a little bit mobile. I don't care. You know, maybe that works. You know, they, they're in one house one week. They're outside because it's a beautiful day. And the next week, it's small enough that you can keep that communication tight. We're not opening the small churches necessarily to the public. You know, it's not like, hey, if you're looking for a church, you know, we meet at this time. And, you know, they just come. Like, we don't want just strangers out of the blue just coming. Everyone who's coming to the small churches is invited by someone who's inside the, the small church, which I think works really well, by the way. The statistics show that the overwhelming majority of people who come to faith are brought by a friend. Sometimes, you know, it's like, I watched Billy Graham on television, or, I, you know, there's unique stories that happen, but that, those make up like maybe 10 or 15% unique ways that people come to the faith. But usually it's just a friend telling another friend, uh, saying, come, come and see. <laughs> so no cookie-cutter approach uh, to the buildings, but uh, we'll, we'll just look for spaces. And by the way, I, it's like my hobby to do this. So if you're automatically overwhelmed by that, I'm just excited to look for free spaces in unique places. I love that. Even the church planters in the city through the years, like they know that about me. Like, I, I want to help. I want to help. I want to help you find a space. You know, I just, I love doing that. Um, I've done so much of that through the years and I have a lot of ideas. So I'm, I'm more than willing to help. But there will be a few people in each small church that will be excited to do that. But each uh, small church will figure out um, you know, in view of their mission focuses and needs and wants, where they live, you know, where exactly they should be. So what about the paradigm shift of activating every core member in mission? You know, so what I'm asking core members to do, and those who have been part of the core last year uh, understand this already, we've already been thinking about it, but I'm asking each core member to uh, choose a focus. Now, I know we have many focuses uh, missionally. You might have your coworkers or neighbors or just different, your family members. Uh, but just to pick one focus. Could be homeless women, addicts, refugees, at-risk teens, kids in a region, elderly in nursing homes, children at Hasbro, uh, college students, artists, uh, people in a particular area. You know, it could be like Olneyville or something. Um, bikers, surfers. Teachers, neighbors, coworkers, pregnant moms, foster moms, single moms, moms. 
and just whatever. Whoever you have a heart for. It could be a particular people group or it could be, you know, just like the people in this. Maybe you live, maybe you live on the West End. You, you just, you walk down into Olneyville and you just really feel God tugging you there. You just feel like, I don't know, just the people who live and work in the Olneyville area. Maybe that's something that's really, I just want to go do it, you know. We want to get behind that, resource you as much as we possibly can. I'll talk about economics next week, but we are doubling the amount of money that we give to mission, to local mission. So we, we, we have resources, and we want, to, we want to empower. The church wants to empower each member to uh, reach the people who they want to reach and who the Lord is kind of calling them to reach. So be thinking about that. Don't pick hastily. I would say talk to your friends, see what they're doing. Uh, it would be ideal, you know, to kind of at least have one partner with you. I, I'm not opposed to the solo mission, but I, I think that it's just it's better to have a partner or two or three or four, you know, like just to have a few handful, a little team uh, working together. I think it's always better to work in a team. And then how would I reach them? I'm going to give extensive training on this um, in the days to come, but uh, the seven elements that I usually fall on are, you know, we start with prayer and fasting, just being with people, uh, listening, observing, uh, finding ways to bless people, to serve people. Uh, then engage with the gospel in some way. You kind of you have to go there at some point, just kind of a little poke, a little question, a little share something about your story and just kind of see how it, how it takes. Um, you know, it's like fishing, right? You got to, you got to throw it out there, you know, see if, uh, see if the fish bite. Um, and then identify the ones who seem open. And, and that's where those are the ones you go with, the ones that are receiving you and receiving your message. And that, those are the ones you, you disciple. Um, so that, you know, again, I'll go in much more depth with that. But if you've been part of the church for any length of time, you know we're not into like being weird or just high-pressure evangelism tactics. Um, the Lord opens doors. As we're with people and we're serving people and loving people, genuinely, conversations happen. Um, they just do. You know, Even when we just walk the neighborhood, even with people we don't know or we're just meeting for the first time, it's, it's kind of how you do it. You know, if you're like calm, high pressure, it just seems weird, like you're approaching this person and just trying to sell them something. Okay, people get that vibe immediately. Whoa, okay, this is weird. Uh, how do I get out of this conversation? I don't want this. I don't want this. Get me out. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, you, you chat with people, you're talking about their dog or something. But we don't shift, you know, it's not like, oh, your dog is so cute. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> you know, look him straight in the eye. Like, we're not tired. Like, we don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want people doing that to me, okay? And I'm already a Christian. Um, you know, people want to be respected and honored and just listened to and just, like, we're talking about natural, normal, uh, just going out, serving, getting to know people and letting God open the doors. And sometimes there's risks that we take, of course. God will say, ask them this. Uh, really? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so there, there are those moments that, you know, get, maybe get a little nervous or whatever, but we, you know, try something. Um, that, that plays into it as well. But listen, again, I, 
I don't feel like I'm particularly good at this. I was painfully shy as a kid. Uh, even as a new Christian, I was still dealing with so much shyness and social fear. Um, I have, to, have had to work hard to you know, interact with people and be you know, outgoing or whatever. I don't really think I'm outgoing, but um, so I, I feel like I'm like one of the worst at this kind of thing. You know, how do we bring the gospel to people? But I'm, I've done it. If I can do it, you can do it, and we can all do it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who we rely on. You know, the good th- here's the good thing. If you are painfully shy and this terrifies you of even doing mission, you are a candidate for deep, fierce dependence on the Holy Spirit, which I'm telling you from experience. I mean, we used to go, when I was um, a Bible college student in Barrington, this was a little confrontation, a little crazy, but we would, every Friday night, we would go down to Thayer Street, and we would just engage people with the gospel. And, you know, whether students or professors or just whatever, the little subcultures that were down there hanging out and stuff back in the day, this was 25 years ago, it was a little bit of a different scene. But um, I was terrified to do, I prayed all week long I, we had a prayer meeting before that I could never understand why people on the, we called it the street team, why people on the street team didn't show up sometimes for the prayer meeting. Are you out of your mind? I was like there early, like, oh God, oh God, Lord, do it. Just flow through me, God. You know, I mean, just begging God for his power. And man, he just, he takes over. And, you know, it's like much less of you and your self-consciousness and, uh, you know, your insecurities and all that kind of stuff. And the spirit just, it doesn't mean it's easy. I still struggled going, even on the car drives, you know, from Barrington Bible School into, I'm still like wailing in prayer to God to help me to do this. And yet, oh, so many cool things happened. So cool things happen when you depend on the Lord. Well, how will this, lastly, how will this model grow and reproduce? We want to put into the DNA of each of these small churches the idea of multiplication. So the small church is starting at 15. We don't want them to grow to be 1,000. You know, We want them to grow to 30. And when they hit 30, when they double, that'll be the time to send out. And we'll think all that through, you know, who do we send out? Which 15 starts the new uh, small church? You know, which 15 stays? You know, we'll f- it probably won't look the same in every situation, uh, but we'll, we'll think about that. But this is what we want, a small church of 15 to grow to 30, and then that 30 would split into two groups of 15, and they would each grow. And by the way, this is like, this is not Amway. You know, when was Amway uh, invented? This is, this is the early church. This is how it happened. This is exactly how it happened. You had little clusters of people 
who, you know, came together and became the church. You know, the Apostle Paul would come through and share the gospel. People would come to Christ and little churches would form in different places and then they would begin to grow and then a, a bunch of them would get burdened for, we got to go over here, we got to bring the gospel to these guys over here, this town over here, and they would go. And this is how it spread through the known world in a hundred years. I mean, you're talking about millions and millions of people who are reached. And by the way, this is happening now in some places on the earth which we'll talk about more, too, in the future. Um, So, yeah. How will they grow? By inviting people. Invite your neighbors. Invite your mom. You know, if if 15 people, if everybody could just, you know, bring, bring in one person, it doubles, right? Ren was 15 people at one point, and it grew very quickly to 30. Uh, Very quickly. Especially when we're doing missions uh, together, we're doing different outreaches, we're uh, serving our coworkers, and hopefully it'll be um, the kind of thing that is so warm and so inviting, um, kid friendly, that it'll be easy to invite people to. Hopefully, you'll be able to say, "You got to come and see this thing. This is different than maybe what you think uh, church is." You know, most even non-Christians understand what church is. Yeah, okay, I'm going to come and listen to a 45-minute or 60-plus, 70-minute lecture and then sing songs to a God that I don't know yet. And also, I don't know any of the words of any of the songs. Uh, That's uncomfortable, you know? I don't think it has to be. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 14, when the early churches would assemble, right? The Bible says, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, when unbelievers and outsiders come in, they're not bored. They're not confused. They're not like spectators just sitting and this is like so lame, I can't wait. This is the longest church service ever. No, the Bible says when outsiders and unbelievers come in, they fall to their knees. The secrets of their hearts are revealed, and they exclaim, surely God is in this place. That's what we're going for. What about COVID? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know. I think we're, I think it's over. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. The numbers are dropping like crazy. I think they're dropping enough where we can, we can start to move forward with this. Um, Again, what is it, uh, February? You know, March, we'll establish the core and begin to form the groups. We probably won't start really gathering here until maybe we'll wait till after Easter. You know, but we'll form the groups on paper, and then maybe in May, we'll start to meet here and do the training. And then June, we'll launch, uh, you know, launch groups. And then over the summer, you can figure out, which is a great time, figure out kind of where you're going to scatter, what kind of spaces you're going to meet in uh, throughout the state. It's a lot of info this morning. How are you guys feeling? Who's in the, who's in the, uh, I, I don't know what's happening group. Okay, nobody. All right. Actually, that's probably all of you. I don't even know if I should raise my hand right now. <laughs> but, we're all different. Some of you are already resonating and want to dive all in. Some of you are going to be 
just have a lot of questions. Some will be very, because of what you're accustomed to. Maybe you grew up in the church. Uh, maybe you've been accustomed to the traditional church model for decades. Uh, it's, you don't underestimate how tight we hold on to traditional methods. As I said last week, the reason why we hold them so tightly is because those very models, even though they're not rooted in the Bible necessarily, though God uses them, and God has used them to save us and to even nurture us through the years. So we, we hold them so dear. And it's kind of, it can be crushing realizing something isn't, ah, okay, it's actually not how God designed things to be. So don't underestimate how deep your love of tradition. We feel like we're so cool, you know, we're Renaissance church, we're so we're so progressive, we're so innovative, we're so, you know, we're so open-minded. And I think we are. You know, there is an ethos there, but I'm telling you, like tradition can go to you know, like we're not the high church with all the liturgy and the this, you know, you know, we pride ourselves on being oh, we're laid back, but it's like we're actually not that different. You know, the, the vineyard-type, free-flowing church where everybody's casual and the high church, the liturgy isn't actually that different. Anyways, I have much, much more to share. Uh, come next week, and I'm going to talk about kingdom economics and how God has designed the kingdom to work financially. And by the way, I won't be like a big push for money or to tithe or give. In fact, a lot of what I share next week will shock you. Uh, So I'll just put that little teaser out there. (laughs) Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.